Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. And today we're so excited to welcome Colleen Terry Scoresby to the podcast. Colleen, welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Well, and I'm particularly excited to have Colleen here because I know her as one of my most beloved institute teachers. (laughs) So I knew her as Sister Terry, and I think I told her I probably took four or five classes (laughs) during the time that I was in college, but... And I enjoyed every one of them you were in. Oh, good. (laughs) And I, this is my first time meeting Colleen, but I feel like I've heard so much about her, and it's great to finally get to meet you in person and to hear some of your experiences and stories. Thank you. Good to meet you, Carly. I know I think I share all the time little things that have stuck in my mind from your classes or from our side conversations. I'm like, this has stuck in my head Mm -hmm. for, what, 10 to 15 years (laughs) that I just has been really important to me. So we can probably get into a little bit of that later. But we heard from a lot of our listeners that a previous guest, Lori Newbold, who was an institute teacher, that episode has been one of their favorites. And so we wanted to have another institute teacher and immediately I thought of you. So we're really glad that you're here. Oh, thank you. And just before we jump into the questions, we'll introduce you to our guests a little bit. So Colleen Terry Scoresby has been teaching full-time for seminaries and institutes for over 25 years and currently teaches seminary at her local high school. She served a mission in the Michigan Lansing Mission, taught at the MTC while attending BYU, and has a master's degree in education. So that's kind of her professional background. And then she gave us a little insight into her personal background as well. She says she just knows the depths of loneliness and trial. She has survived Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer And she cared for her parents in their later years, and she's also spent the majority of her life single. So through those experiences that were very difficult, she also considers them tremendous blessings, and we're excited to hear a little bit more about that. And this is very exciting because in April 2017, at the age of 52, she married for the first time and says that her husband, Dan Scoresby, is truly the love of her life and was definitely worth the wait. Amen, sister. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes, Colleen, thank you so much for being here. We wanted to jump in. We know that there are not a lot of women who are seminary and institute teachers full-time. And so we wanted to talk with you. What led you to becoming a teacher for seminaries and institutes? Was that something you always wanted to do? Or did you imagine something different for your life? Well, first of all, I feel like I was born with a testimony. I had a great love for the gospel from my earliest memory. And I love to do the talks in primary. Like I would actually volunteer (laughs) when our class had the assignment to do the talk. And my dad, bless his heart, he would pull out the discourses of Brigham Young. (laughs) He would help me prepare a talk through that. It was pretty deep for primary, but, (laughs) but it was a good learning experience. And I remember reading a book about Joseph Smith in my earlier years, and I just had a great love for the gospel, and I loved seminary. And my sister, Carolyn, just older than me, had a female seminary teacher, Sister Graf, at Cottonwood High School. And looking at that whole situation now, I'm thinking, was she the only one? Maybe. This was early yeah. 1980s. That time. Mm-hmm. And I remember hoping to have her as a teacher, and I never got to because she did get married and start a family and she quit. But that always stuck in my head that I thought, wow, that is a possibility for women. And if that ever came up, I would consider that because I just loved seminary. But that wasn't my path. (laughs) My path (laughs) was I knew I would serve a mission. And then my hope, my plan was to go on a mission and then 
start a family, get married, have eight kids. And I was so excited to be a mom. I love children and I did a lot of babysitting and, and I became an aunt at 15 and love my nieces and nephews. I still call them the victims of my need to nurture. (laughs) I loved children. And so when I got off my mission and started at BYU, I thought, there's no way I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get married and start this huge family and it's going to be so fun. And time went on, and I thought, oh, boy, I think I better take this school thing a little more seriously. (laughs) And so I naturally looked into church education. And long story short, I ended up teaching part-time for a semester. And then I got hired full-time, and I taught seminary in the Salt Lake area for 10 years. And then was transferred to Utah Valley Institute and was there for about 15 years. Where you got to meet Shaylin. Where I got to meet Shaylin. <laughs> no, where I got and to Brandon. meet Brandon. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, my husband. We met at Institute. <laughs> They're so awesome. And then I took a couple of years off to deal with some health issues. And then just this last fall, I made my return. And I'm just at the local seminary down the street, basically, from my house. And I love it. I'm finishing up technically my 27th year. So, wow. Pretty crazy. It wasn't exactly what I had anticipated. What is, though? That's seriously. <laughs> well, at the time of this recording, General Conference happened about a week ago. And so we've all kind of got those messages on our minds. And we've talked about this on our podcast before just the percentage of single people in the church. And this was brought up in General Conference that more than half of the members of the church are either divorced or haven't yet married or they're widowed. And this is just such a substantial group of members. One of the talks that stood out to me was President Nelson, and he shared this quote that every good thing in life, every potential blessing of eternal significance begins with faith. Allowing God to prevail in our lives begins with faith that He's willing to guide us. And so, Colleen, particularly when you were single and wanted so much to be a wife and mother of these eight children that you wanted, you know, this is a blessing of eternal significance to be married and have children. How did your faith in God allow Him to prevail in your life? And how can we build our faith or strengthen our faith to be able to get to that point? That's such a wonderful question. I think it's a critical question for all of us and not just for a single woman because we all have things that we need to strengthen our faith in and go through. We all have, as President Nelson mentioned, mountains that Mm -hmm. need to be moved or conquered. But for my personal journey, I remember when I was 28 years old and wondering about when am I going to get married and is it going to happen anytime soon? And I decided that I knew the day would come because I believe, and there's so many scriptures that help me know that God always keeps his promises, Mm -hmm. always. That's the God I believe in. And so it all came down to timing. And so I never questioned. I knew it would happen, but I just didn't know when. And so I decided at 28 that I would not waste one weekend at home feeling sorry for myself. I didn't want to get married and look back and say, oh, I really wasted all that time worrying. I had nothing to worry about. Why did I waste that energy? And so that had always stayed with me through time. And I just wanted to live the best life I could and be prepared. And Shaylin, you're probably in several of those classes. I always tell my students, you need to prepare, prepare, prepare. Always be in a state of preparation. If I'm preparing for marriage in my 50s, you better well be preparing for marriage in your 20s. Like, Don't get comfortable. We need to always be in a state of preparation. And so I just wanted to be 
the fullest, best version of me, no matter when it happened, and continue that after I got married. I didn't want my marriage to be my source of happiness. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I always tell people, Dan is not in charge of my happiness. I am in charge of my happiness. My core joy and happiness come from my relationship with God. And I will say, he is a great bonus. <laughs> I, I told my students, I said, look how happy I am single. You wait till I get married. I'm going to be annoying. <laughs> so, <laughs> and just testified over and over that importance of preparation and believing and moving forward in faith. And Hannah was one of my favorite examples of that. She's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she was not able to bear children. And that was a very sore spot with her. And she struggled. And she went to the temple, and she was praying about it. And Eli, her priesthood leader there at the temple, saw her lips moving. He couldn't hear what she was saying. And he came over and talked to her. And in the course of that conversation, he told her that it's in verse 17 of chapter 1. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of me. And she said, I love verse 18. Verse 18 has changed my life. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And it's just that portion of that sentence, and her countenance was no more sad. Imagine her going home and saying, Guess what? I'm going to get my dream. I'm going to have a baby. And other people saying, Really? When? And her answer would just glowingly be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just know it is. And she didn't wait for the baby to come to, to fill the joy. Mm -hmm. wow. And so I thought, I don't want to wait. And you can apply this to any mm -hmm. part Absolutely. of our lives that we're anticipating, whether it be marriage or a job or children or different things. Like if we think that is really going to make us happy, maybe we could imagine having it now. Because if it's a promise from God, maybe it is reuniting with someone who's passed away who will be resurrected. Have that joy now. It will mm -hmm. be accentuated when the time comes. When it's fulfilled. Right. But why are we waiting to fill the joy? And so that's how I approached the situation. And Shaylin, you and I talked about a lesson that you recalled about living today mm -hmm. and how important that was. And it was kind of a funny scenario, but the class was full of single people, including me. And I said, okay, what are the chances of any of us being married by bedtime, like by midnight? And no it was chance. A, yeah, <laughs> zero. It was a fat zero. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's not going to happen. So why don't we prepare for tomorrow, live our best today, and put our focus in today and live it the best we can. So I would do this with myself all the time and say, okay, if I'm not getting married by the end of the day, I'm going to be the happiest, best single person in the world. <laughs> and, so, and so I would just kind of use that to help me to live in the moment. And you can apply this so much to, like you, both of you are in a situation of having small children. We don't have to tell you they're going to grow. You just have to look at pictures of last year. You can't get that time period back. Like to really be in the now instead of, oh, I just can't wait till they're older. and Because in the moment, that's really easy to do. 
but then it's like, mm-hmm. what are the chances that today they're going to be six years old, you know, and out of this like terrible two stage, the chances are zero. And mm-hmm. so it's finding ways to enjoy that. And I have applied that with my kids and with my mission because there are so many difficulties oh, yeah. of being on a mission. And it's like, I'm not going to be home today. So mm-hmm. here I go trying to do my best and be my best in that moment. So yeah, that's one of the things that has really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, because I played this game so much, on April 22nd <laughs> of 2017, I played that game. And I'm like, so what are the chances of you getting married by the end of today? They're fantastic! <laughs> you know, it was the day I got married, and mm-hmm. I was so happy to have a different answer, knowing that all in times past, I would have that day. Mm-hmm. And I did. And it's just wonderful. It is just absolutely wonderful. And I know that our lives are going to change again. And so right now, I'm trying to enjoy the season that Dan and I are in right now and really making the most of it because one thing we can count on is change. Mm -hmm. I have a question that I want to ask as well. We're always preparing and we should always be preparing for the next step or the next phase or the next dream that we're waiting for. And I think marriage is such a big emphasis from such a young age, especially for women in the church. And I'm just sort of curious now that you you waited so long to be married and now you are married, I'm just curious what you would say to women hoping to be married or planning to get married. What is the best way to prepare and what is the mindset that we should have around marriage that's healthy, that doesn't blow expectations out of the water? I actually have a lot of opportunity to talk to people about that very question especially women who have passed the typical marriage age and want to have any kind of encouragement or suggestions. And every single time, I just tell them to prepare and believe. This is a gospel of families. Everybody gets one. Everybody. We will find out more about the timing of some of these families that will be formed. I was prepared, if needed, to wait till the next life. That didn't mean that I couldn't enjoy this one because everybody does. Everybody will get a family. And I needed to prepare regardless of the timing. But I would always tell those who I have an opportunity to speak with in this situation to believe in God's promises. Look at their patriarchal blessings. Look at general gospel doctrine and believe and count on those promises. Do not put mortal limits on an immortal God who loves you. And I would say to my students, I said, what are the chances of me meeting a faithful man in the church at my age? And I would just hold my fingers really close together. I said, not big. And I said, but you wait and see. It's going to happen. And if I'm preparing, like I say, in my 50s, you better be preparing then too. You should always be preparing. And that helps the time too, that you're not just wallowing in self-pity. Makes the most of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learn a recipe. Go spend time with children. Go serve people. There's so much you can do, and service we can do at any time of our lives will change because of the dynamics of it. There was service I could do as a single person that I would not be able to do married just because of the situation. Now, with your situation with little children, there are service opportunities that you have with those children at that age, and there are service opportunities that aren't really for that phase of life. But as you grow older, those things are going to change. There's always things that we can do and be engaged in. And that's unique to every person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? That's what's the beauty of being you. Mm -hmm. I love my dad would always say, you're the only you we have. And I feel like our heavenly parents are saying the same thing. You're the only you we have. There is nobody like you. No wonder they have specific plans for each person and that we are that special. 
because we are. We are their children, and they want the best for us, and they want us to come home. Just what I feel listening to you is these assurances come from your great faith. This mm-hmm. assurance that this blessing that you wanted so badly, that it would come at some point. You didn't know the timing, but I think that assurance that promises are kept, even though we don't know the timing, that comes from great faith. Absolutely. Timing is critical. In fact, for many years, I would share with my students the talk by President and Sister Oaks called Timing that he gave at BYU. And he talked about the changes in his life and how he and his wife, June, had planned on serving a mission. And then he was looking back and saying how much his life has changed. And his wife has passed away. He's an apostle. Like all these different things had changed. But he said the one constant, no matter what was happening in his life, that we can apply to us is that we can always put the Lord first and keep his commandments. And that has stuck with me. And I hoped that my students took that with them too, that they would trust in the timing of the Lord because it was going to look different for every single one of them. But that's their plan within the plan. And then only controlling what we can do, which like you said, is putting the Lord first and keeping the commandments. And then to add to that, having this joyful countenance and feeling that joy now, I loved that you shared that. Mm -hmm. So I can't help but think, Colleen, that you're talking about living with joy and living with happiness regardless of where we are in the waiting game because we're all in a waiting game of some sort. Yet we know, as Shaylin said, you have encountered and experienced some really challenging hardships in that time that you were waiting and trying to live as joyful as you could. And like Shaylin said, we've been thinking a lot about this recent general conference. And in that conference, Elder Renlund gave a great talk called Infuriating Unfairness. And he gives examples of various types of unfairness and talks about how that can feel so incompatible with the reality of kind and loving heavenly parents. And to quote him, he said, when faced with unfairness, we can push ourselves away from God or we can be drawn toward him for help and support. And again, from all I know about you and from what we've heard from you so far, obviously through this period, even though you were finding joy, You were feeling sad, probably, that you weren't getting married. And we also know you suffered some health challenges and some other difficulties and trials. So from all of these experiences, it seems like you've drawn toward God through these unfair things rather than pushing yourself away. And we'd love for you to share a little bit more about these times when you felt like life was unfair and what you learned in those times about yourself and about our Heavenly Father and Savior, Jesus Christ. And before I do so, I want to make it clear that I call it face on the bathroom tile floor crying. We all have those times. There are times to mourn. There are difficult times where we grieve and we are sad. And it is often when these unmet expectations happen, when we are doing our best to keep the commandments and put the Lord first in our life. Elder Maxwell calls it crusty irony on the bread of adversity. And I had one of those situations in my mid-30s where a fibroid tumor was discovered. And at this point, my eight children, even with consideration of twins, like, you know, <laughs> had come down to like pleading with heaven, can I have one? Can you just give me one? Because at this point, I was about 38 years old, and I wasn't dating anyone serious at the time. And so when this tumor was discovered— My doctor said, if I took it out right now, it would definitely end up in a hysterectomy. But we might be able to shrink the tumor over the next four months with a medication 
And if that goes well, we will have a high possibility of a more favorable result. And so I said, let's do it. And so I was on a medication and the tumor did start to shrink and I felt very positive about the outcome. And then the day before the surgery, he met with me and he said, now we need to talk about the possibility of a hysterectomy. And I said, I know I need to talk about that. And I said, what are my chances? And he goes, minimal. The tumor shrunk again. And I said, I need a number. And he said, less than 15% chance. I thought I'd won the lottery. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's do this. It's going to be fine. It's going to go great. And I felt very confident going into that surgery. And then when I came out, the first thing I heard was his voice saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's bigger than we thought. I had to take everything. And I had rehearsed my reaction if that had happened. And I reached out to pat him and I said, that's okay. I know you tried and just kind of fell back into my anesthesia sleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then later when I came to that night and really was conscious and considering what had just happened, I cried harder than I probably ever have in my life. And I wept and I wailed and I grieved because I felt for me, all my children had died that day, Mm -hmm. all of them. And I say this, taking nothing from adoption. There's adoption in my family for which I will be forever grateful. But the ability of me being able to bear a child that I've always wanted to do and to have that dream literally ripped out of me at that moment was very difficult to accept. And I remember after crying for quite some time, I said out loud, oh, that felt so healing. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Because there is a time to mourn. There is Mm -hmm. a time to cry. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. That doesn't mean you're faithless. Mm -hmm. That means you're mortal. And for the next couple of days, I had a lot of visitors, family and close friends. And the phrase I heard a lot was, oh, wow, of all people, because they knew me well enough and how much I loved children and how much I wanted a family. They'd always say, oh, of all people. Mm-hmm. I even had the doctor's daughter come. I actually taught her in seminary, and I knew him through my job and working with ecclesiastical leaders. And so I knew him well, and he knew my heart. And this particular student was married at the time, and she was visiting her parents' house the day of the surgery. And so she said, Dad told me what happened. And she says, and we both just sat there and cried. And it was just so tender and so sweet, the compassion of people. And I found myself having to dig deep about the situation and trying to understand it. And so in some of my conversations, and they were very intimate conversations that I never thought would go public, but I feel very comfortable sharing it publicly because I feel it's a principle that will help anybody in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I put my hand on my chest and I said, my God is all-knowing. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows my past. He knows my present. He knows my future. And then I said, my God is all-powerful. He could have made it to where my doctor did a miraculous surgery. He could have made it to where I went in for an appointment and the tumor completely disappeared, which has happened for some people. Or that you never had it in the first place. And that Mm -hmm. was my next one. Exactly. Or it never happened in the first place. I know he has that power. And then I said, my God is all loving. He loves me more than I love myself. He wants me to be a wife and a mother more than I want to be a wife and a mother. I couldn't comprehend that, but I knew it. Mm -hmm. So I said, so if my God, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, chose not to intervene, then everything is as it should be, and I'm going to be okay. 
And now, and I don't mean to be callous about the situation now that time has gone by, in my judgment, I can't wait where I get an opportunity to talk to Heavenly Father and Jesus and say, okay, let's talk about that hysterectomy at 38. (laughs) That was brilliant. And I'm not saying God causes all these things, but like I say, He could have intervened or changed Mm -hmm. some things, and He didn't. And so I want to just compliment them and thank them, (laughs) because that happened at the most crucial, pivotal time of my possible childbearing life. And it taught me great lessons that if it happened now in my 50s, it wouldn't hold the weight that it did in my 30s. Like, oh, I, I wouldn't have children now anyway. Mm-hmm. And so having that experience where I had to define my God, and I have my students do that sometimes too. I said, you need to define Heavenly Father correctly. You need to know the truth of who yes. He is and who wow. the Savior is. Because if we don't, we are going to disable Him. I remember teaching one time, and the words just fell out of my mouth that I have repeated over and over, and it is, do not put mortal limits on an immortal God who loves you. Because when we put mortal limits on God, like, oh, He can't help this situation, it's too big, or this particular illness is terminal, or you can't change this, because we're looking at it mortally, we disable Him through our lack of faith. He is a God. He is not immortal. And He is a God of miracles. He rarely works with logic because that way, when the miracle comes, there's no question in our mind that His hand was involved. If things just kind of happen with our own efforts only, etc., we would take credit for everything. We don't need a God, and we're now in a secularist religion, which is the fastest-growing religion in the United States right now. So if we decide, okay, I'm going to spend time and get to truly know the truth of the Savior, not who I want Him to be, but who He truly is, then we empower Him in our lives. Then we can do what President Nelson is talking about, miracles. We have miracles at our fingertips. And like we said earlier, if the mountain isn't supposed to move, He will give us the strength to climb it. Wow. I'm just learning so much from you, and I'm learning so much about the way that you reacted in this time of, it seems so unfair and Mm -hmm. so wrong that, like you said, we kind of raced to think, how could God let something like this happen to me? There were a few things that you said that I just loved. I love that this required you to dig deep into your faith and your understanding. And I love that you clarified that trials aren't caused or allowed at all times by our Heavenly Father. We live in this fallen world where things happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that really knowing and understanding who God is and what our relationship is with Him, I love that you said that that is so key to being able to dig deep and to rely on our faith to get us through and understand those times. I loved how you were talking about miracles. Recently, my father-in-law passed away from cancer. And when it was toward the end, he had stopped receiving treatment and he was on hospice. My daughter was praying and I was thinking she was probably just praying out of habit for him to get better. And so after the prayer, I explained to her that he wasn't going to get better, that he was going to die like in the next day or so. And she said, but I can still pray for him to get better. And for me, that was just such a huge lesson. I was like, of course you can. And it's back to this, you know, that Heavenly Father, He is capable of performing all of these miracles. And if we put those mortal limits on Him, that's damaging to us and our relationship with Him. But then it's also knowing with the things that do happen, we still need to draw to Him and understand that is part of the plan. I have a friend who from the outside looking in 
she's kind of in somewhat of a, a hopeless situation, but she keeps saying, I am praying for a miracle. And she knows the realities of her situation too. She knows all the potential outcomes. And I think she's prepared for those, but she's like, I know that God performs miracles and that's what I'm praying for. And that has just, both of those experiences combined and then hearing from you, that is really strengthening my faith to understand who God truly is. And so I appreciate you saying, define your God, define Him and understand the truth about Him. So anyway, I just wanted to share that that's mm-hmm. completely changing Thank my perspective, you. and I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. That's wonderful. I think it's important that we look behind us as we look at President Nelson's invitations from this last conference, that we look behind us and acknowledge the miracles that have already happened. What a beautiful discussion between a husband and wife or a family to sit down and say, let's look at our past. Let's look at the miracles that have happened. Because when you can see that, it actually strengthens your faith moving forward. Because you bet every person has had miracles. Every person has had the hand of the Lord in their life. And that is something we need to acknowledge. We're told that in the Doctrine and Covenants. Colleen, I can't help but think of this great juxtaposition in our conversation, the joy of realizing that God's promises are kept and the assurance that gives us to live with happiness and confidence, and then also knowing that there's so much hardship and challenge and difficulty in our mortal experience, and we have to hold all of that at the same time. You really can't throw away the bad and pretend like life is easy and fun and happy all the time, (laughs) but we can't be overcome by these hard things that are teaching us really good things, but that are very hard and that we are mourning through and suffering through and also not live with joy. How do we hold those both in our hands and see them for what they are and accept them and move forward? Wow, such a great question. If you think about it, that is mortality. We hold them all the time together. No one has the perfect sing-song, skippity-doo-dah, rainbow life, even though it may look that way in some social media. And we've talked, it's so easy to compare. Yeah, but we are all holding both. And that's why it's so important that we have compassion for one another and understand the things that are unseen. Shaylin and I are part of a very exclusive club Oh, that's a bad club. <laughs> the Hodgkin's Lymphoma Club. I don't want to be part Carly, of that club. Carly, stay out of it. <laughs> yeah. So we have both experienced that cancer. And Shaylin, I would love your thoughts on this. But when I was in bed and sick, I would have people call and ask how I was doing. And then naturally, I would ask how they were doing. And they would start sharing some of the difficulties and challenges in their life. And inevitably, they would catch themselves and say, oh, I'm sorry, here, you're going through that. And I'm just going on about this like it was nothing. And I always corrected them and said, don't you dare let my cancer minimize your trial. Mine is just a little more well-known or obvious by Mm -hmm. my appearance, but your challenge is so serious. And I think some of the most difficult and hard trials are not ones you can see looking at somebody. And they carry them deep, and they're difficult, and they're painful. It's interesting that you say that, that you were so quick to say, don't let my situation minimize your situation. I kind of had the opposite happen where... I think I was actually going through chemo and I was telling this guy just about my cancer and his dad had a much more severe type and he said, I don't feel bad for people like you, (laughs) you know, knowing how much worse it could be or how bad it could be. And that I felt so bad and I also felt so guilty. Mm. And then I had another friend say, 
you had cancer. Like you just did. And and I just feel like throughout that whole experience, I sometimes minimize it like, well, I didn't have to do this or I didn't have this happen. I didn't lose my hair. But then I think, no, I have so much empathy for people who have any type of cancer, go through any type of chemo. I actually know what that feels like. And it's really difficult. And so I appreciate the things that I've gained from that and learned from that. And then being aware of the other trials that people are going through, whether I can see them or not. Well, let's go there because for my situation, I was bald. It was very obvious that I was going through something, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a child. Like you, you had a child. There was a Mm -hmm. natural worry. What if Mm -hmm. something went wrong that we weren't anticipating? So those worries, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure a lot of those things kind of went through your mind. Is this going to change my future as Mm -hmm. I view it? And my husband was going through that too. Oh, absolutely. You know, how is this going to change our future? It was horrible at the time. No doubt. I didn't lose my hair. And so it's just people couldn't really see those worries. They didn't know what was really happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Which was kind of a blessing for me. But it just really puts a perspective on it. And I did chemotherapy and you did radiation. And so that's another difference. You've mentioned before, I remember from a class that our trials are very customized to each of us. So I think, yes, we had the same type of cancer. It was actually the same location as we discovered. (laughs) But our experiences were so vastly different. And I just think that's such a lesson for all of us that it's like, we just never know. We never know what's going to happen to us. We never know what's going on in someone else's life. I think that's important to remember. It brought me back as we talked about it. I did four months of chemotherapy and then two months of radiation. And when I would go in for radiation, they had a mask made of my face. It was a netting that formed over my face, and then they would clamp it to the table to hold my face in the same place without any movement. And then I had tattoos on my chest, on my sides, and markings on the mask. And so when I would go in for radiation, my mask would be waiting for me on the table And then I was in a hospital gown. I would get on the table. They'd put the mask on. And then the technicians would have one on each side. They would just pull my hospital gown up a little bit to line up the lasers on the walls with my tattoos on my sides. And then they would line up the lasers from the ceiling to the tattoos on my chest and on my mask. And so all these teeny little movements would happen until everything was lined up. And then they would say, don't move. And they would all run out of the room. (laughs) And then I would get radiated. (laughs) And one day I came and the mask wasn't on the table. And they said, oh, we need to get your mask. And I happened to be standing by the cupboard that they kept the masks in. I've never seen it before because they always had it out. And they opened it up and I saw like three masks in there. And it was like a bucket of cold water to me because I thought, oh, those are three people who are going through something very, very similar And it just stuck with me because you were the star of the show when you went in Mm -hmm. with this team and you didn't really see anybody else. And so I saw that there were other people that were going through the same thing, had their masks made, et cetera. And when it was over, when I completed therapy, I said, can I keep my mask? And I kept it as an object lesson. It's a hazard Mm -hmm. of being a teacher. (laughs) And And it has been one of my favorite object lessons because I show them the mask and tell them, We all, us patients, all had similar cancers going on. We were all going through very similar treatment, and our hope was to have a cancer-free body. However, if they could not find my mask, I could not borrow someone else's. They couldn't say, well, this person's really close to yours. 
why don't we put his mask or her mask on your face? And then we'll line up those markings. Like I could be radiated in places I shouldn't. What I needed would not be radiated. It would be a mess. As close as it was, it was still not right. And so I thought, this is life. We all want to return to our heavenly parents. However, we are going to have different experiences. Very similar. We'll probably have some very similar experiences, and that's where we get to help each other. But it's still our plan within the plan. It's very unique to us. I can't wear Shaylin's mask or Carly's mask, and you can't wear mine. Mm -hmm. But hopefully we will achieve that same result in getting to go back to live with them. That's just such a powerful lesson. We're being taught so well today, Shaylin. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> to segue the conversation a little in preparing to close our discussion, as a seminary teacher, Colleen, you've been teaching and discussing the Doctrine and Covenants this year, and that matches up with the Come, Follow Me manual that guides our individual and family studies. And we would just love to know from your studying and teaching experience, what is your hope for women of the church in understanding the Doctrine and Covenants what can the Doctrine and Covenants do for us? Do you have any specific tips or counsel about that? I do, actually. I love the Doctrine and Covenants, and you have to see it for what it is. This is establishing the gospel. And if you look at where we are in the Come Follow Me right now, we're seeing a lot of people become baptized or go on missions, and we have specific sections meant for specific people. And so sometimes we get caught up in the different characters and people. However, we don't have a lot of information as far as specific women. Of course, we have Lucy Mack Smith and Emma Smith and Section 25, which is the only section solely given to a woman, which is so beautiful. And to also have that last verse in verse 16 say that my voice is unto all. We can really ingest that and grab it and take off with it. And then we have other women of the Restoration that are mentioned throughout the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants as well. However, as I think about this, I reflect back when I was teaching institute, I taught a class called Women of the Restoration. And I went through, starting with Lucy Mack Smith, through Women of the Restoration up into some people in our current time. But I would tell them over and over, you need to realize that you are part of the restoration. President Nelson has been very clear that we are still restoring the gospel. We are still in this. And so you are church history in the making right now, a very critical time that prophets have looked to since the beginning of time. We're here. We're doing miraculous and marvelous things with our faith in the Savior, and we are creating this individual history. And to realize you're part of it, you look at some of the conversion stories of people in the Doctrine and Covenants, well, create your own because you're there too. You're part of this too. And so when I taught this course, it was my favorite final because what I did is I had each of them write their own bio. They had a picture, their general information and history, and then they would share their feelings about the gospel and about their Savior. And I've kept those. Those are ones that I have kept because I thought, you watch. These girls are going to do amazing things. And they're going to create miracles and be a huge part of this restoration. And so my message is that everyone is part of this. Write that history. And right now, because you're still here, you have the ability to create it, to create the kind of history you want to leave for the church in general, for your posterity, for your family. We have a lot of control with that part, which I think is exciting because we have agency. We can choose. We can choose our faith. We can choose our belief in Christ. We can choose to move mountains with our faith. 
and never underestimate that. I think right now we have in our world women who are trying to find themselves, to believe in themselves. And I think that is important, that it needs to happen. But I would suggest that first of all, they really get to know their Savior. If they once again can define Him correctly and see Him for who He is, that He is alive and what He is and what He can do, you will naturally look in the mirror and see something better than you've ever seen before because you will understand your relationship to Him, His love for you, what He's done for you. Your worth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What He's willing to do for you. That is true self-worth. That is, and I'll use the worldly term, true self-esteem. You want self-care? Try Christ's care. Like, spend mm -hmm. time getting to know Him, and you will find you. And President Nelson has been trying to get us to see that. He's been trying to get us to hear Him more, learn how to receive revelation. As we do all of that, truth will flow. The Spirit will just flow, and truth will come over us, and we will see the truth of ourselves. I think Satan's greatest tool for women is to have them look in the mirror and see themselves incorrectly. He's very good at it. It happens really easily and quite often. But if we put on that armor of God and shield ourselves with a correct knowledge, the truth, it is the biggest power we can have. In Moses chapter 4, it says Satan's goal is to blind people to truth. And that's happening. As I mentioned, he's very good at that. So this is where we have to really look at the truth of things. I have said many times, and I've had some people disagree with me, and that's okay. But I said, you look at a problem or a situation that you're very upset about, and then you take the emotion out and set it aside. And that's where people say, oh, you can't do that. And I said, yes, you can. I've done it. <laughs> so take the emotion out and then look at the truth of the situation. Take a big breath and look at the truth. The truth is, Heavenly Father is aware. He has a plan for you. Everything's going to be okay. Your God is a God of miracles. He won't let you down. Just simple, simple statements. I always say, talk to me like I'm five when I'm in trial. <laughs> like, talk to me like I'm five. I don't need deep doctrines. I need simple statements. And <laughs> Elder Holland's beautiful at that. He does that so well, where he'll say, there is light at the end of the tunnel. God does love you. Things like that. And once you can see things correctly, then when you put the emotion back in it, it's much more calm. It's you much see the more whole picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like President Nelson's talked about, don't be so myopic. Mm -hmm. I tell students all the time, open the pre-mortal door, open the post-mortal door, make it one big room. We are living in one big room. Don't get so myopic on mortality. We have to bring in both sides and we're going to be okay. And what a beautiful concept when that truth does flow of our understanding of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and our understanding of us, truly us, that just really makes us like a more important figure in the restoration. I just keep making that connection. Mm -hmm. I love how you've shared that beautiful concept of we are important in the ongoing restoration of the church and seeing that for the truth that it is, is so beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I think we need, especially with women in the church? We need women in our homes to use more language of faith and faith statements. Oh, we're going to be okay. Heavenly Father is aware. We're going to be fine. And to help our children or others who are facing difficult things. Oh, you know what? He knows you have a hard math test coming up. I bet I'll help you. Let's work really hard and we'll pray really hard. I really feel that you'll get some help with that. Instead of, oh, you're really bad at math. You always have been. Good luck with that. <laughs> 
think about it and kind of watch yourself. The way we speak, especially in our homes, can have a huge influence on those around us if we use language of faith. It is empowering to hear you say that that is within each of us mm-hmm. to make that change. Absolutely. As a wife, as a mom, as a roommate, as a friend, we can all draw upon our faith and share it with others in a really natural way to lift them. That sounds pretty powerful to me. Colleen, thank you so much. I am overwhelmed. I feel like we've sat in on the best Institute lesson ever. <laughs> so oh, you're very right. kind. <laughs> thank you so much for being willing to share these very, very personal insights and experiences with us and with our listeners that we've grown and learned from and that we know listeners will appreciate as well. So thank it's you so much. Been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Colleen Terry Scoresby as much as we did and that you've been enjoying other episodes of the podcast. If you haven't listened to the episodes with Lori Newbold, you can go back and listen to those. She's also an institute teacher, and we just have loved learning more about the scriptures from those perspectives. We also want to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and others who support this podcast, especially during this time of social distancing and virtual interviews. We're so glad to have the opportunity to continue to safely visit with our guests. We've been so grateful to hear from so many listeners. Please continue sharing your feedback and your ideas with us. They're on platforms through reviews and ratings, and you can also contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We're also super excited that the podcast is now available on the Gospel Library app. You can navigate to audiences and women to find it in addition to being on just about anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.